Thank you so much. So glad to be here with you all this morning. Um, I should have checked Susan's notes because the, um, the bio that I wrote like about five years ago was when I was into CrossFit. And uh, Father Aaron and I used to talk about it a lot. And I was like, well, he's way more into this than I am. I should take that out of my bio. Anyway, <laughs> so glad to be here with you all this morning. Today is Ascension Sunday which may not have ranked high in your Sunday school years. If you learn different Bible stories, maybe Ascension doesn't rank very high, but it is a really, really important feast that we celebrate in the church. So this Sunday is about a group of Jesus' friends standing on the hillside, looking up into the sky, just staring up at this incredible event taking place in the sky. And I got to thinking about this, and I thought, you know what? In Chicago, we also have an incredible event that takes place in the sky. However, we can't see it because it takes place at night. We know it happens because we can see it on the weather radar, but because it's dark, we can't see it. But what it is, is the migration of millions of birds from the South, often South America, all the way up through the United States, through the Chicagoland area, up north, to the place where their hearts are set, these little birds, on Canada, oh Canada. <laughs> the place, yes, <laughs> the place where as they arrive, the buds are opening, the flowers are opening, which means the bugs are coming. And so the birds are longing for the juicy bug. And so they set their sights toward Canada and they leap up into the air and they take flight. Now these birds, most of them, weigh less than one ounce, about a third of an ounce. So that's less than one tablespoon of butter. So if you're thinking your stick of butter, take off that one tablespoon, less than that. It's how much these birds weigh. They are tiny, they are beautiful, they are amazing. Now, do you know how they navigate? This is just fascinating. From, you know, somewhere down in the south all the way up through here and why Chicago is such an important part of the migration of many birds. It's because when they fly at night, they navigate by looking at the stars. So are they flying along like this, looking up at the stars? No, they are looking down and they follow waterways that reflect the lights of the stars, which guide their path. So they come up the Mississippi River, they come up here to the Great Lakes, and they are coming up through here, which is why just north of here at Montrose is the Magic Hedge. If you're familiar with that, this is a place, a green, one of the first green places and why so many thousands of birds land there because they've been coming up the water. And so they're just so glad to be there. It's so, so wonderful to have a place like that, that you can see them. Then during the day, you can go check the birds out. So when they point their, their beak into the direction of Canada, they have in their hearts the juicy bug, the place of spring, they have love in their hearts, they're gonna nest, it's gonna be fantastic. So this is true for us as well. So our hearts also have our compasses set toward something, and that is what we're headed toward. What is it? Where are your eyes fixed? Where is your heart fixed? 
whatever that is, will be the trajectory and the direction of the action of your life. So when Jesus' friends stood on that hillside and Jesus was lifted up off of the ground, as we just read in Acts 1, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So another marvel, just something amazing that that they saw, or were they meant to see beyond that sight, what their eyes could see? Was this just an additional awesome thing that Jesus could do in his resurrected body? Because he could do some pretty awesome things. Remember, he followed the two people on the road to Emmaus. They get there, they have dinner, they don't recognize him. He breaks the bread, he vanishes. Okay, so he vanishes. A little bit later, the doors are locked, and he walks through a wall. So that's amazing. So is this just another thing? He can just float? You know, is he just supposed to be amazed that Jesus can float? No. This is meant to be a visible event that lifts the eyes of the disciples, which is all of us now, toward where Jesus is going and what this means for us. It's more than just an incredible sight to behold, and the angels have to help them understand Or perhaps they would have thought it was just, you know, a day of him floating. But no, the angels say, Jesus was taken up from you into heaven. Okay. Now, I don't think they even understood exactly what was happening, just like we often don't understand what is happening in our lives. But they really didn't understand. The angels just says he's gone up to heaven And then we know they begin to understand because just a few days later at Pentecost, Peter explains this event. This is how Peter explains it. So Israel knew that they were waiting for a king. This has been their desire and their longing. And so on the day of Pentecost, he draws the connection between David's descendant that they'd been waiting for for years and years and Jesus. He takes their eyes from the prophecy that they'd been focusing on and puts their eyes on Jesus and explains to them how he has fulfilled the prophecy. And this is um, in your bulletin, the text in Acts. Wait, I don't know if this part is in there. Is it? This part isn't in there. This is from Acts 2 on Pentecost. You'll probably read this next week. The patriarch David was a prophet. This is Peter speaking to that big crowd that gathered. The patriarch David was a prophet, and he knew that God had sworn to set one of his descendants on the throne, and he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. This Jesus God raised up from the dead, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God. So the ascension is Jesus taking his place on the throne at the right hand of God. At the ascension, this prophecy is fulfilled. So let's just take a moment and remember that prophecy. Like, where does this come from? What are they talking about? So the the Israelite people wanted a king. And in 1 Chronicles 17, we read that David really was eager to build a house for God. This was a good and noble desire that he had. He he wanted this place to be beautiful. And this is what Nathan said. The word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons. 
and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. So in the kingship of David, God gives um, Israel David as a king, but says at that time, this is your king now, but I want you to know, I'm sending you a king that will be forever. This will be my son, and he will be for your forever king, and this is who they were waiting for, and this is fulfilled at the ascension. This was meant to help Israel look beyond what they could see in that prophecy to that descendant forever. So let's remember for a moment the words of Gabriel to Mary. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. So look beyond what you see. The king you've been longing for, here, he's coming now. I'm giving him to you in Jesus. And Mary says, yes, and Jesus comes. These words are fulfilled when Jesus ascends from earth and takes his place at the right hand of the Father. And, you know, Jesus is so compassionate with us and so helpful and kind. I think his disciples, whom he loved so dearly and walked with so closely. You know, Augustine has a quote where he says, um, who did the disciples see ascend? They saw him whose hands they had held, whose um, whose um, injuries they had placed their hands in. They, they saw the man that they had shared their lives with ascending. And Jesus understood before he died and before the resurrection and the ascension that this was going to be very difficult for a human person to take in. They were just not going to be able to understand it. And so he, he tried to explain it to them many times. And this is a few of the things, these are a few of the things that Jesus said to try to help them understand in advance, although his words really did prove to be true, didn't they? Which is, I have so much more I could say to you, but you just can't take it right now. But you will be under, able to understand when the Spirit comes, and he will whisper my words in your heart. But he did explain as much as he could. And so here is something from John 16. He said to them, <clears throat> I will not always be with you. In a little while, you will see me no more. You cannot come where I am going. Now I am going to him who sent me. So when the disciples gathered with Jesus for that final meal, I'm sure they sensed that something important was happening. But I imagine that even as it unfolded before their eyes, they didn't quite see. Jesus pointed more specifically and clearly to what he wanted them to see. He would die, yes. He would raise from the dead, yes. But he was going to the Father. They heard Jesus' most intimate conversation with his Father, and that was in our gospel, which is in your bulletin from John 17. Just before Jesus dies in that evening, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, 
that your son may glorify you. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Father, I am coming to you. So Jesus painted a picture for them of a loving father waiting to receive his son. So as the disciples saw him leaving, exiting, Jesus was entering into the presence of the father, a father whom he loved, a father with whom he'd shared life before, and a father who loved him. And though they didn't understand it at the time, Father, I'm coming to you, these words were fulfilled at the ascension. I think it's wonderful that that Jesus was trying to give them like a little seed of hope to hold in their hearts, even though they couldn't understand. It makes me think of a time I had a roommate years ago who was going on a first date with this guy. And um, I knew this was happening, but when I came home, I drove in, I saw this man out in our front yard with a bucket and a shovel digging in the grass and planting snow crocus bulbs. And I thought to myself, well, this young man is doing several things. One, that's really cool. And two, he is planting a bulb of something to look forward to that's going to come in the spring. And he's hoping to be there to see that when it happens. And I I just think that's fantastic. And it makes me think of the way that Jesus plants those seeds of hope that we can then understand when they spring into um, into visible life. So now, because Jesus Christ God himself in the flesh has ascended to the throne room of God. There's a human man in in heaven right now, human flesh, a person. This is foreshadowed for us also in the Old Testament when uh, Moses is given the directions about establishing um, the, the worship for the Israelites. So the Israelites have been delivered from Egypt and they're traveling around in the desert and about three months or so into it, God says, I would like to establish a sanctuary in your midst now. And there are just chapters in Exodus that explain all the details about how this beautiful sanctuary for God was meant to be created in their midst. And one of the incredible things about that is he has them make an ephod for Aaron, who would be the priest, and he puts 12 stones on this like breastplate And on the breastplate are each of the names of the 12 tribes. And it says, um, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastplate of the judgment, in the breastplate on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So he carries them visibly in these stones, but on his heart into the throne room of God. And Jesus' ascension does this for us for eternity. He bears us in his flesh to the throne room of God. We, all of humanity loved by God, are drawn into his presence at the ascension by Jesus in the flesh 
standing there interceding for us. This morning, the, the collect, the Anglican prayer that comes at the very beginning of each Sunday worship that kind of gives us an idea of where we're headed, this morning, the prayer of the Ascension says these words, may our hearts and minds also there ascend and with him continually dwell. So may our hearts and minds with him ascend and there continually dwell. So if our hearts and minds ascend and dwell in heaven with God, then our eyes are pointed there, our hearts are pointed there. It's our compass that shows the trajectory of our lives and which direction we're meant to be going. Our destination is secure. So Jesus ascends, they're standing there looking up into the sky, but are they looking up into the sky and that's it? He's just gone up? No. The angels tell them to look beyond and he will come again. So now go, do the work I've given you to do. He will come again. Death has been defeated. He will return and set everything right. But now go about my business. Proclaim the good news. Deliver people from lies, from where they've placed their hearts on things that cannot bring life. So to return to my bird story, there's another part of the story about migrating birds in Chicago, and that is this, that when the birds who are following the reflection of the stars in the bodies of water come north, as they're coming up Lake Michigan, across the Indiana dunes, all the way up, and they're looking at the light in the stars, what light do you think they see? They see the city. They see the skyline. And many of them are derailed from their compass set toward Canada. And they go toward the lights of the city. And they collide with the buildings there. And there's this incredible group here called, you're not going to believe this, the Chicago Bird Collision Monitor Society. So these dear people get up before the crack of dawn during migration season, and they walk the streets of the city. And they pick up the birds, and the ones that have died, they bury. And the ones that are injured, they, they pick up and they put in these little shoe boxes, and they take them to rehabilitation facilities all around the area. And there's a rehabilitation facility near where we live. And so I took my kids, and I'm sure this will be a memory that my son Josiah will have for the rest of his life. We went to Willowbrook, a wildlife sanctuary, and they were releasing the birds that had been gathered from the city and brought out there. And they had healed, they had, they had set their little wings or whatever they needed, and they opened the box and they placed the bird into my child's hand. And they let them open their hands and see the bird go. How beautiful to be reset on your trajectory when you've taken a false turn like that. And that, that is the story of so many people that we know, isn't it? That with your, if your heart's trajectory and your eyes just get distracted to the flashy city, to the big bright lights, to all of the most important jobs and the most important people and the most beautiful people, you won't have a true resting place for your heart. 
because those will always disappoint. And so Jesus says, go now and pick up those that have fallen, those that have collided with their false hopes, and spend your lives because you know that you're held safely in heaven, that the, no matter what happens on earth, no matter what terrible tragedies happen, your life is safe with me on earth. So you can devote yourself to the broken, to the poor, to those who don't have whatever it is the world thinks they should have. You can pour your life out for them. You can proclaim the good news to them. Jesus himself loves you, and he invites you to be with him forever in glory. Praise God. The ascension fulfills so many of those prophecies. Thanks be to God. And he will come again. That's the next part. So we have that yet to look forward to. He will come again, and we will be with him forever. So as I close, let me pray for you the prayer that Paul prayed for the Ephesians. I pray that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the immeasurable greatness of his power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his right hand in heavenly places. Lord, I thank you for this prayer of the apostle that asks us to remember your goodness, to lift our eyes up to you, Lord. Open our eyes to see the riches of heaven that have been poured out for us, that our lives are safe and secure in you. Therefore, we can risk our lives for those around us. We can invest our lives so fully here. We love you. We lift our eyes up to you now. We just take a moment to just speak to the Lord quietly about if anything came to your mind about perhaps a flashy distraction that has <clears throat> taken the allegiance of your heart, a place where you fixed your eyes that does not bring life. Just take a moment and ask the Lord to forgive you and to strengthen you and give you courage. Thank you, Jesus. We want to look beyond what we can see here, Lord, and know that our lives have meaning because of your love for us. And I pray, Lord, now for courage and strength for those in this congregation that are called to serve the most vulnerable and needy. Bless them, Lord, and may your light and truth and love go out from this place. In your name, Jesus, amen.